Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. What's up, everybody? It's Chris Mannix, and welcome to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. And we have a very, very good podcast for you today. Dennis Schroeder, the Atlanta Hawks guard, he's going to join us on the podcast. And I'll give you my thoughts on the DeMarcus Cousins situation in Sacramento and why it was such an underwhelming season for Ben Simmons at LSU. That's all that and more up next with the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. Welcome back. Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Pleased to be joined by one of my favorite young players in the NBA, Atlanta Hawks guard, Dennis Schroeder. Dennis, uh, first, thanks for joining me. And your story is fascinating because you don't see a lot of, of young players coming out of Germany. Growing up, was basketball always your thing or was something else a first passion? Um, I did. I had a lot of hobbies. Uh, I used to play soccer, skateboarding, and um, I did a lot of things. But then uh, my dad passed when I was 15. And then I started really playing basketball and I uh, was focused on that. What was it about the passing of your father that pushed you towards basketball? Uh, he supported me uh, in everything I did. So 
every time when I was in practice, he was there. And um, one week before he passed, um, he told me, like, you can't make it to the NBA. So I promised him that the week before he died. And um, after that, I was, like, really driven and uh, just tried to make it to the NBA because I promised him that. Do you think you would have had that same drive if he didn't pass away? Do you think you you would have kept going for the NBA or would you have tried something else? I think I would have like tried something else. I think I wouldn't be that driven if he uh, wouldn't pass. I think it's a bad thing that he passed, but I think I wouldn't be that way if he didn't pass. What kind of skateboarder were you? I mean, me and my brother, uh, we used to go to the park, skating park, every day from like 10 in the morning to like 10 at night. So we was really good. My brother got sponsored by like a lot of skateboard brands and... Um, yeah, we was there like every day. But every time when I didn't try to skateboard, I went to the basketball court and was playing. What's the worst fall you took as a skateboarder? Um, I tried to jump uh, 11 steps, I think. And, <laughs> um, the, <laughs> and the skateboard flew away. So it was a hard fall. But I mean, skateboarding is like that. So No broken bones, though? No, no, no. My brother broke his arm. That's another reason why we stopped. Because my mom didn't like that. That was another reason why we stopped skateboarding. When you're playing basketball and you're looking for, for competition, I mean, how how good was the competition in the area, the city that you grew up in? I mean, it was a great competition. I mean, I played professional since I'm like 15, 16. So I had to play with older guys that was like 25, 28. So um, it was always tough. But um, Livio Kalin, my coach, who gave me like individual practice, and who took care of me, like, he pushed me really hard. So um, I could, like, play with all the guys, and uh, I was tough already. So um, that was pretty good, and um, I think everything uh, I did so far is uh, because of Livio, because he taught me so much. And, yeah, I'm thankful for that, but uh, I think that's the reason why I really got to that point. How do you get hooked up with a professional team? Do they recruit you, or do you try to sign with them? How does that work? I went to the um, basketball school when I was um, like 11, 12. Went to a basketball school, and uh, from there, the professional team, the coach, um, he seen me there, and then he told me, like, you, you got potential, and uh, I think you can make it far if you, like, stay with me, and um, you're going to stay disciplined and focused. And um, first off, uh, I was still skateboarding, so I was like, mm, I don't know, okay, I'm going to try it. And uh, I never did. And then <laughs> he seen me at that park, and he was like, oh, we got to take you now to the to the practice. And, um, yeah, then he took me to practice, and I kind of liked it. So I went over there every time, every day, and uh, started working hard. Did basketball, did it come naturally to you? I mean, now, for sure. When I first got, like, with skateboarding, and then I took a break, played basketball, it didn't uh, feel that natural, but right now it's like that's my life, and um, like I live for it, and I try to play and try to get better every day. When you when you're growing up, when you're a teenager, as you said, playing against grown men, big guys, ten years older than you, and whatnot. I mean, how is it as physical as it sounds? Were you getting beat up and banged around out there? Yeah, it was tough. I was 15. I was really skinny. Didn't lift any weights. And, uh, yeah, my coach, like I said, he was, like, really, really hard on me. And um, 
I was thinking about quitting sometimes because like it was so hard for me in practice and in the games. But um, he told me every time you got to stay focused, you got to stay ready because you can't make it really far. And then when my dad passed, I was like, oh, now I got to like really step it up, go even harder and um, in practice. And uh, yeah, that's the reason, like that was the main reason why I really like said, okay, I got to get my life together, just stay on basketball and um, focus on that. When did you start to think that, you know, the NBA was a realistic possibility? I think when my dad passed, that was like the reason where I was saying, okay, I promised him that and I got to make it. So I think we 16, 17, I really like played professional and got used to it. I think that was um, that point where I said, okay, I can really make it to the NBA. When did your skills kind of come to that point where you're like, all right, you know, I'm, not only do I want to play in the NBA, but I'm, I'm pretty good. I can get to the NBA. When did you start to think that, that your skills were there? Probably like 17, 18 when I really played in a, a professional. Like I played like probably 25 to 30 minutes a game. And um, I had like a really good year. And um, I tried to go the year after that. And my agent and like was talking about it and, he was like, you got a chance now. And uh, I went to the Nike Hoop Summit in Portland and uh, had a great week. And um, everybody was talking about me. So I was like, oh, I got to go this year because um, everybody was saying I'm like guaranteed first round. So um, at that year, like I was really playing really well with my team and uh, individually. So I was like, okay, it's probably possible this year to go to the NBA when I was like 18, 19. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. What's the atmosphere like at those German league games? You get big crowds. Is it a fun scene to be around? It's uh, definitely fun. But it's, like, really small. It's, like, probably five to 6,000 people. But they um always in it. Like, everybody coming if you're losing or if you, if you win. The support is, like, really, really big out there. So... Even on defense or when you do a mistake, everybody's behind you. And, um, yeah, for 40 minutes, they uh, really support you. And um, when you're not playing, they support the outside. When they see you, it's like a big scene. And, um, yeah, it's just great uh, to play and get that experience from you. How big a star is Dirk Nowitzki over there? <laughs> you can't even imagine. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, last year, we was in, the, in Berlin for the Eurobasket. And um, we went to the cinema in Berlin, and uh, there was the wrong cinema. They gave us the wrong address, and the bus left already for the team. So we had to walk like five to seven minutes to the other cinema. And uh, he had to put like a hoodie on and like a hat, and everybody still like recognized him. <laughs> and everybody was running, was running as a team. And uh, everybody was running behind him and trying to get a picture. I tried to get autographs. Like, it was, like, crazy. Like, you can never imagine how that was. But he had a great career, and he still has it. Um, and, yeah, he was, like, my idol, too. And um, I look up to him. He's, like, my big brother, too. He showed me every time um, what I can do different. And uh, we text him. And, yeah, great guy. Is there anyone bigger than him? In Germany, like, is, is there like a pop star, or is, is is Dirk like the biggest star in all walks of of life? 
Mm, I think we got still like Michael Schumacher from uh, Formula 1, Formula 1, and yep. like all this. Uh, but still, like, I think uh, Boris Becker uh, in tennis. And, I don't know, but I think Dirk Nowitzki is uh, probably the biggest guy in Germany who did, like, a lot of things. And um, he is, like, that great because um, he was his personality never changed. He was great to everybody still when he um, reached his goals and uh, he still was humble. And um, with the German Federation, I just spoke to them too and they said he was, like, every day in practice, he was, like, an idol for everybody. He never, like, said something crazy to the teammates, even if he had, like, if he could, but he never, he never did. What do you have to do to be bigger than Dirk Nowitzki? Ah, it's kind of tough. Uh, <laughs> tough to be. <laughs> uh, like, how can I say it? I mean, in Germany, it's not a lot of, like, a lot of black people coming over there playing basketball. It's kind of tough. Yeah. Um, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, he's, like, the perfect German kid, so... I mean, I just try to be not Dirk Nowitzki, but I want to be Dennis Schroeder that everybody recognized me to. And um, I try to give everything I have with my team to win games and, of course, to win championship. And, uh, yeah, I just try to be uh, my own story and not uh, because a lot of people are saying, can you beat Dirk Nowitzki uh, in everything in his story? And, like... That's, like, really hard to do. But um, I want to be myself. I want to be Dennis Schroeder, and everybody gets to know me like that. I think if you win a gold medal, that might at least get you in the conversation. If you lead that team to a gold medal. The German team? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the only thing, probably. (laughs) You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to to look for tickets to a game or to a concert. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked by value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed map to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, download the free SeatGeek app, Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Enter the promo code MANIX. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code MANIX today. You mentioned that Dirk is kind of the he's the example of the white guy, the German guy. Was was racism an issue for you growing up in, in that area? Yeah, for sure. It was tough when I first went to the kindergarten when I was like four, five, six. It was tough. It was all white people. Um, they told me, why well, you got dark skin? And, like, it was just crazy. And um, then I went to school. Everybody, like, used that word nigga the whole time to get me, like, really, uh, really upset. And um, I never heard something like Dennis before. Like, never, nobody called me that. So, uh, 
that's another reason like why I was so driven and like I was really focused on basketball because my dad passed and then I had all these issues and um but I started to get better when I played like basketball and I was with a lot of black people. Then it started to get better and um everybody like respected me even though uh, I played in the like second division uh, and the first division. Did it ever, you see what people said to you, was it ever physical out there? Were there ever kids like, you know, trying to fight you because of your skin color? Some people, but my, my big brother, he handled everything. Like he's a, he's a great guy. He uh, used to bring me every time to the skate park. And, you know, when you're young, you got a smart mouth. So <laughs> he had to do a lot of stuff for me. And um, but he helped me with everything. Even if I if people want to fight me because I'm black or like he he took care of everything and um, that's the reason why I like really look up to him because he was really nice to everybody and he never had like problems with like growing up he had problems with like people telling him something but he he didn't care about that so he just moved on and um, just be like an idol for me to look up to him so. He can't say uh, you can't fight him because I didn't do it. So you gotta just be be quiet, run away, and um, or walk away, and um, just don't say nothing to him. How many generations of your family is from Germany? Your parents, grandparents? How far back did your German ancestry go? Uh, my mom is from Gambia. Um, okay, but my dad is from Germany, and uh, I think grandparents from Germany, but my mom's side is all like Africa. So you get drafted, you go to the NBA. What was it, what you expected that first year? <laughs> no, uh, I had almost a culture shock. Like, that was that was a little bit too much for me. Uh, Atlanta is uh, just different than Germany. And um, so I had to get used to it. I'm glad that I had my family with me. And family was around me. My sister and my niece, they came and uh, supported me, like, off the court. Yeah, did everything I needed to be done so my sister took care of all that so I could focus on uh, the whole season and yeah I didn't play that much at first and uh, I was still keep working hard after every um, game when we was at the away game we landed at like one or two I went to the gym with a coach was shooting and everybody was like yo your time will come and um, you just got to be patient and um, I was there the whole time and uh, I promised that my family my dad so I was like, okay, hopefully, like, it's coming soon. And um, my second year got real. Everybody trusted me. My teammates trusted me. My coach trusted me. I matured off the court. And, um, yeah, that was the biggest thing, I think. When all the racial stuff happened with Danny Ferry, did it bring back any bad memories for you? How did you react to when you heard what was going on last year? I was like, um, I think everybody got to respect everybody even if i'm black but i don't think it's a good thing everybody is a human being and everybody just gotta work together especially in atlanta um, it's a lot of black people here africans americans i was shocked but i think he was a good guy to me still but um some situations he was just um a little weird it was like weird decisions he he made for me and my family so um yeah, it was just bad memories, too, of course. And uh, I was thinking about that stuff. Yeah, when I look back, so some situations, what he did. So um, 
I really like know why he did that. Did it make you want to leave? You know that organization when all that stuff went on, or did you just figure you'd see it through and then maybe things would change later? I mean, I never tried to leave Atlanta. Um, organization is great. They are doing everything they can for their players and uh, coaching staff. Everybody's like great. Everybody helping you rebounding. Everybody when you whenever you want to go, they help you with something. And um, Coach Bud too. Like he's a had 19 uh, years with Coach Pop, so um, he know what he's doing too. He's a great coach. Um, he brought me to that point too, getting better. And uh, yeah, he trusted me now. And uh, yeah, now we gotta look forward. But I never try to leave because of that situation. Because we have everybody from the team, coaching staff, all players was saying um, we just want to win basketball games and we don't worry about that. Um, what happened with Danny Ferry? Did you watch a lot of Spurs growing up? You know, you mentioned Budenholzer on the bench with Pop. Did you get to watch a lot of Spurs games as a kid? To be honest, I watch every game. I try to watch every game from from the good point guard. So I watched Tony Parker a little bit. Then I watched uh, Ray John Wando a lot with uh, Chris Paul. And, um, yeah, I was watching a lot of basketball. And, you know, it's like six hours ahead from there to Germany. So every time when I watched it, it was like West Coast, probably was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, I had to wake up every time at like probably 9 or 10. So uh, I was like really into the basketball, like the NBA, to watch them and do the same thing what they did on the court. And uh, yeah, I watched it every night. So you're now in a situation in Atlanta. You've got two guys, you know, it's rare. But two guys with you and Jeff that are both, you know, starting level point guards. I think you ask around the league, both you guys are considered starters. How does that work between you two? I mean, is there a competitiveness there? Is there, are you just both kind of fighting tooth and nail for playing time? How does it work with you two? Um, it's tough. I think uh, we still on a good level where we get in practice and we're competing with each other really hard. And I think that's the best thing. Um, for us, because we're getting better, even in practice. And um, I pushed him, he pushed me. And uh, last year, we was uh, really, really got close when we uh, won all these games. And um, like we was as a team, uh, everybody did everything for the team. And uh, this year, uh, we're doing the same thing. But uh, we know everybody was think, like talking, okay, we both two point guards, uh, we need both more minutes. But um, right now, I'm I'm just glad that I'm in this organization with Jeff because he taught me a lot of things too. So um, I'm really glad that I'm with him. And um, in this situation, I'm still young. And um, I love that I can learn from him. And uh, he was an all-star last year. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad that I can work with him. It's funny that you mentioned that you grew up watching Rondo because everyone, when you came overseas for the, the draft combine and, and your first wa- workouts, they're like, well, that guy looks like and kind of plays like Rajon Rondo. What made you kind of be a fan of Rondo? What was it about Rondo's game that, that you took to? He's just a hustler. Everybody was talking about him. He can't shoot. He can't do that. But he still was, every time when I looked at him, he still was successful. The team still won, so he found a way to uh, win basketball games. And um, he, uh, his defense, his 50-50 balls, how he get uh, against any point guard, he tried to play defense and uh, tried to stop his man. 
And um, I was kind of like that too when I was young. I tried to like, I didn't, I never was scared against nobody. Like I just tried to go at him and um, win the battle. But every time when I watched him, there was the same thing. Like he tried to win every battle. He tried to like fight for the loose balls, jump for the loose balls. And that's the reason why I said he look, he's like me or I'm like him. Well, Dennis, now you're a basketball player, and I hear you're now a lounge owner. Is that right? Right, that's right, that's right. DS17, is that the name of the place? Yeah, DS, DS17 Lounge. Where's it at? On Peachtree, 2285 Peachtree Road. We just opened yesterday. There was a, a, like a soft opening, and um, it went really well. Well, nice. Well, congratulations on the restaurant, and congratulations on a really strong season. I appreciate the time that you took to come on this podcast here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Dennis. Take care. All right. You too. It's the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. I'm telling you, if you have not tried a box of Omaha Steaks, I don't know what you're waiting for. Exceptional meats, great prices, and excellent customer service. Omaha Steaks has it all, and the flavor is ridiculous. It's high quality. It's one-of-a-kind flavor. Beef and bison from the Golden Plains, seafood, poultry, pork, veal, lamb, you name it, they got it. Veggies, desserts, appetizers, pasta, soups, seasoning, sauces, and more. Everything backed by Omaha Steaks' 100% unconditional guarantee. A great package is being offered to my listeners. Huge savings, and the box comes with a great variety. Right now, when you use my code MANIX, you will get 76% off. That's not a typo. 76% off this exclusive package. What's in the package? Two tender mild beef filet mignons, two bold beefy top sirloins, two moist savory boneless pork chops, four homestyle chicken fried steaks, 15 Italian spice all beef meatballs, four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks, four Krispy Kreme potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, those are really good, one Omaha Steak seasoning packet, plus four juicy made-from-premium-ground-beef Omaha Steak burgers free. Just for my listeners, this exclusive package is only $49.99. Go to omahasteaks.com, type Mannix in the search bar to get this great deal. That's omahasteaks.com, enter Mannix in the search bar to get this great package for $49.99. Welcome back, Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. My thanks to Dennis Schroeder for joining the podcast. Before we go, though, I did want to weigh in on a couple of things that are going on in the NBA and in the college ranks, technically, right now, today. First, the Sacramento stuff. And if you've read any of my work, either at Sports Illustrated first or now over here at the Vertical, I've been writing more than I ever thought I would about the Sacramento Kings and what's going on over there. And the latest, as you've probably heard, DeMarcus Cousins suspended for a game again for conduct detrimental to the team. He blew up at George Carl on the bench. I was told that he blew up at George Carl and Vlade Divac in the locker room after the game, uh, suspended for a game. Later on, he says something along the lines of this was a coaching suspension, not an organizational suspension. So, really drawing that line in the sand with himself and George Carl. And look, we, we all know how this ends in Sacramento. We, we can talk and speculate and say, well, what if they run off X number of wins in a row? And if ownership doesn't want to pay off George's contract, one or the other, either George Carl or DeMarcus Cousins, is going to go. Now, it, it seems more likely than not that it's going to be George Carl. The relationship the trust, the bond, whatever you want to call it, seems pretty fractured between Carl 
and Vivek Ranadive, the owner, and as well, Vlade Divac. They fired one of George's close lieutenants, Vance Wahlberg, an assistant coach under George for several years, dating back to his days in Denver. And George didn't take that too well. And and look, everybody in George's camp, I think, knows and believes that it's over at some point. The question is, is it over between DeMarcus Cousins and Sacramento? And they've got to have one of those come-to-Jesus moments if you're the Sacramento Kings. you got to understand that even with all this going around him, DeMarcus Cousins is still valuable in a trade because there are two years remaining on his contract. And the money he's due over the next couple of years is extremely reasonable when you compare it to the money that other players at his position are going to make. We're entering that bizarro offseason. We're entering the world of the new TV money. All this stuff's going to be out there, and all this money's going to be thrown around to players that are not anywhere near as talented, frankly, as DeMarcus Cousins. Now, DeMarcus is a total head case, and and there are teams out there that swear to me up and down that they wouldn't touch him because of that. But there are teams out there that are willing to pay up a decent price to go get DeMarcus Cousins. So you go get him, and now's the time to do it. Because, you know, the, the less time that's left in his contract, the less valuable, unless you're going to get back in return if you're Sacramento. So if this season continues to swirl down the drain, it's going to. If you continue to bottom out with this team, this summer, you've got to be aggressive in trying to pursue a trade for DeMarcus Cousins. I, I know there is this perception amongst ownership there. And when I say ownership, I mean Vivek Ranadive, the controlling owner who is is driving this bus, you know, straight into the, the ocean, but he's driving this bus. Vivek Ranadive wants to have a talented, name-ready team to go into the new building in Sacramento next year. And that's, I guess that's okay to have that sort of mindset, but not if it means you're sacrificing your long-term future. And the future of this team is going to be in trading cousins and getting something back in return for him. Multiple draft picks, maybe a young player or two. His value is only going to go down as time progresses. You're going to get less and less for DeMarcus Cousins as time goes on, to the point where you'll be at the end of next season, perhaps. Then you realize, wow, we, you know, he doesn't work with the next coach. we got to look to trade him. His value is going to be even less. I mean, I, I really believe that when DeMarcus' contract is up, and I know a lot can change in two-plus years, but when DeMarcus' contract is up, I think he walks away as fast as humanly possible. I don't think there's anything that could keep him in Sacramento under the current set of circumstances. So if you're Sacramento, as much as it might pain you to part with a player of DeMarcus's caliber, and even though you may not get dollar-for-dollar value back in return for a player of that talent, you have to recognize and understand that this isn't going anywhere, that this situation is totally untenable at this point, and you've got to just cut your ties, cut bait, Get the best deal and start over because it's not going to get any better. You bring in a new coach, the the coaching, by the way, you're not going to get a great coach to come to Sacramento. There are going to be a number, uh, half a dozen or more head coaching jobs that are going to be open this summer. The cream of the crop, the Tom Thibodeaus, the Scott Brookses, they're not touching that coaching job because they don't want to be a part of this mess. You know, they're going to have better opportunities. Luke Walton. In that area, why would Luke Walton ever leave, even if he didn't get a job with the Lakers or the Knicks or one of these other high-profile jobs that are out there? Why would Luke Walton want to go to Sacramento? Why wouldn't he prefer to stay on the bench, make good money in Golden State, and watch his stock continue to go up? Because that's what it will. I mean, unless, uh, barring an epic collapse from Golden State next year, Luke Walton's stock is going to continue to rise as an assistant coach. So you're not going to get Luke Walton either. What you're going to get is a retread, 
maybe a college coach looking for an opportunity. You're just not going to get an elite coach to come fill that void, not until you establish a culture, a, a foundation that these coaches consider solid, tenable, whatever word you want to choose. So a bottom line is this. If you're Sacramento this summer, you have got to aggressively pursue trades for DeMarcus Cousins. The other story of this week was the end of Ben Simmons' college career. Adrian Wojnarowski from Yahoo reported that Simmons is likely to sign or will sign, is about to sign uh, a contract with Clutch Sports. That's LeBron James's agency, Rich Paul, uh, LeBron's buddy, his agent. He'll be Ben Simmons' agent. All this was expected. Now, I still think Ben Simmons is the number one overall pick in the draft. Every college scout that I talk to says all these negative things about Simmons. Says he doesn't. He's not aggressive enough doesn't play physical enough, doesn't want the ball at the end of games, but then they end that discussion with, yeah, but I'd still take him number one. As improved as Brandon Ingram has been this year, I don't think he's done anywhere near enough to eclipse Ben Simmons as the number one overall pick in the draft. But what do we make of this one college season? A season where the presumed front runner, the season-long front runner, to be the number one overall pick is not even going to be in the NCAA tournament. And because his school, LSU, has decided not to compete in the postseason at all, he's not going to be in any postseason play. So what do we make now that his season, his career, is basically complete? All the things that I mentioned that those scouts have said, the fact that Simmons is not aggressive, the fact that Simmons just doesn't seem to to want to take over games when he is physically and talent-wise so far superior to virtually every person on the floor. That's that's certainly troubling. That Texas A&M game where they got blown out at the end, that was brutal to watch. A guy with Ben Simmons talent to allow his team to have the lowest scoring output of any team in Division 1, that's nuts to me. Ben Simmons alone should be worth 20 plus points, 25 points, 10 assists, something like that in a game of that nature. And it really was only till the that game could have been so much worse. The end of that game was when LSU put some buckets together didn't close the gap at all because they didn't play any defense on the other end. But they put some buckets together. They were able to produce, and that sort of you know gave them even more points than they probably were entitled to in that particular game. But Ben Simmons has been a pretty significant disappointment throughout this college season. Not as big a disappointment as Scalabisi areas, Kentucky. He's probably the biggest disappointment of any top draft prospect to date. But Ben Simmons, I think many of us expected him to just burst onto the scene at LSU, him and Antonio Blakeney would take that team at least to the tournament, maybe give a couple of teams runs in the first two rounds. Just didn't happen. And do we think it's a, a foreshadowing of things to come in Ben Simmons' NBA career? Are we worried that he won't develop that aggressiveness in his NBA career? Is he going to be more like Evan Turner than he is LeBron James? Too early to pull the plug on that one. Too early to say that about Ben Simmons because... You know, LeBron James, for all his his marvelous talents early on and for what he's become now, we remember LeBron early in his Cleveland days. The lack of a killer instinct there, that was noticeable. You know, in, in his early years, that was noticeable in Cleveland. Now, it's unfair to compare Simmons and LeBron, no matter how many people do it, but I think if Simmons can just develop what LeBron developed in his career, he still has to has the potential to be one of those transcendent type of players. I mean, people say he can't shoot. Well, nobody can shoot coming out of college. It's not the end of the world if you can't shoot coming out of college. The, the question is, will you develop that mindset, that killer instinct to become the player that your talent should allow you to become? If you can do that, you know, I still think Ben Simmons, his potential will be ultimately fulfilled. But no question, 
his college career was just lackluster, disheartening, not not anywhere near as fun to watch as we expect. The numbers are fine, and I'm not really going to get too deep into the did he take his academic seriously because that's a whole separate discussion about the one-and-done rule and, and should it be expanded, revoked, all that stuff. But the, the mindset of Simmons was disappointing all season long and not seeing him take over games in the SEC, going out against Kentucky, getting battered by Kentucky at the end of the regular season, getting beat up by Texas A&M at the SEC tournament. These things were all... You know, all things I never expected to see from a Ben Simmons-led team. So I'm optimistic that because we've seen it in LeBron James, and frankly, we've seen it in other players as well. Chauncey Billups comes to mind when Chauncey came out of Colorado. He didn't have that killer mindset uh, either. I'm optimistic that that Simmons, over the course of three, four years in the NBA, will develop that. And if he does, he will reach that potential we all have for him. But that's the biggest question mark. Not the shooting uh, not the lack of aggressiveness. Can he develop that killer instinct? Maybe not Kobe Bryant killer instinct, but the killer instinct that defined LeBron later on in his career. If he does that, that talent will take care of all the rest. And I hope he does, because when he has his moments, he is so smooth and so athletic and so gifted and has such great court vision. He he is the total package in terms of talent. If he can put it all together and really embrace being a superstar, we might actually see the superstar we've all been hoping for. Thanks for listening for this episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet at me, at Chris Mannix YS, with any questions and comments. Make sure to check out the new and archived episodes of the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. For in-depth conversation around the NBA, the Vertical Podcast Network is your destination for on-demand audio. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Find your voice. Your voice. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102 if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to the Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? 
We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.